Hello, everybody. We're going live. This is Brian Altunia with my co-host and my partner, Mr. Sean Francis. This is another episode of Just Two Dads. I'm very excited to have today's uh, conversation. This is actually going to be three dads, um, three dudes. Total full-on dude conversation here. With, in fact, we're so into the dude conversation, our guest actually calls himself the speech dude. So you're going to have a great time today. Uh, welcome uh, to another episode of Just Two Dads. It almost sounds official, doesn't it, Chris? Uh, right. Hey, everybody. This is Brian Altunian again uh, with Sean Francis. We've been doing, I think we're episode number 103. Is that right? 103. That's 103 right. episodes right. in. 103. We started this conversation about two years ago um, because as dads of children with, uh, with some sort of uh, special need issue, um, Sean's son on the autism spectrum, my daughter with learning disabilities, uh, we decided to get together because Sean and I have these conversations and realized we have conversations about our children and life and everything. And we realized this is a conversation that we could have in front of a whole bunch of other people and probably add some value. And more importantly, we found amazing people doing great things for our community. And we felt that we could provide a platform to shine a spotlight on what they're doing. So if you're catching us live on Facebook, hello, welcome. Um, thank you for participating. Please put some comments there. There's my daughter, Jordan, who, uh, who, who is, by the way, not feeling well. So I hope you're feeling better, Joe. Um, thanks for hopping on. Put comments here in the chat. We'll go, we'll, we'll, we'll share them. We'll put some of them on screen a little bit like that. Um, if you're catching us after the fact on our YouTube channel at, at, uh, at We Are Just Two Dads, uh, thank you again. Please subscribe, share the content with your friends. Let everybody know. Again, if there's a subject matter that you'd like to have us cover, we're happy to do that. Hearing us on uh, podcast outlets, welcome. Uh, we're gonna. I, we know that uh, we're gonna add value because, frankly, Sean and I feel like we get value out of every conversation we have. So I'm hoping that that, that, that value translates. And if you're catching us at uh, WSTX AM Radio out down in the U.S. Virgin Islands, hello again. And uh, again, we look forward to seeing you all soon. So thank you all for being here. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for this conversation. This is one of the few times when I didn't actually get to do a little pre-conversation conversation with our guests. So I'm going to be learning all about Chris uh, and his uh, and, and the work that he does along with all the rest of you. But before we get to Chris, I just wanted to uh, bring uh, Sean. Sean, you literally are just, I know you do it. Sean does this to, to harass me and torment me. Sean likes to sit and not move. If you're catching us live or, or catching us on the video, he will sit like the statue. And I know it's just so that I'll ask him, Sean, are you okay? Are you frozen? Are you are you all right? You're doing okay? How are you doing, Sean? You doing good? That if, if I was doing it to mess with you, I'd be like this. <laughs> I have a picture See? of that, by the way. So don't yeah, say you I know. don't do that. I know. And I, I've actually done that to you know with with success, but I don't know what it is about sitting still because at this point I'm having a real hard time doing so because I'm really excited um for our guest today. Uh, one of the great things about being able to have this platform is that we get to interact with great people. It's almost like life is a party and and within the room, there's a different person that comes in the room and you're like, oh my gosh, and you find these things that you have in common with people. And so our guest today is none other than Chris Wenger, better known as The Speech Dude. Chris, welcome to Just Two Dads. Thank you guys so much for having me here. I'm excited and you're, you're exactly right. When we share commonalities, things just connect. There's synergy here. You know, we've got three of us that have very similar interests and things in common. So I think we're going to have a great conversation. 
That that is true. I'm looking forward to it. So the way we get started is we generally, you know, you do what you do. And as far as you're concerned, it's just your work and you probably don't see yourself as a hero. But from what I've observed about you and our conversation off air, the way you do what you do is, in fact, quite heroic because you make a difference in people's lives. And all heroes are heroes by way of their powers and all powers come from a hero's origin. So let's start with telling us a little bit about yourself, where you were born, how you grew up, because the other thing is people's path to the special needs community is um, each person's path is, diff is, is different. Some people are there because of diagnosis uh, of their own or of a loved one, but you contribute on a, on a, on a daily basis. And as you, if you, if you haven't figured it out already, um, Chris obviously works in, um, you know, speech therapy, but let's get to uh, Chris pre-speech dude and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I see that Brian has the book by Ed Milet, The Power of One More. He's all about talking about how our past shapes who we are today. So the things that have happened in our past, like Ed Milet really came from some hardships back in his day and has really shaped his mindset to where we're at. That's really how it is in education, too. We all have a place in the past. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take a journey back, uh, you know, from day one of speech, dude. Uh, That's fantastic. We have more synergy than we realize. You know, the, Brian and I came together. I think I told you we, we met because we work in financial services. And we decided that, you know what, the special needs community needs that information is more so than anybody else. And that's how we were actually introduced to Ed and his work before the rest of the world was. So that's fantastic. Go right I ahead. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so gosh, you, I was in elementary school back in the, back in the eighties. And back then, you know, the term ADHD wasn't really a thing. It was ADD at the time, but right. um, you know, I'm going to start there with my elementary school experience. I was the kid who was the class clown. I was the kid who was, standing on top of the desk, dancing and singing. And when we would have a substitute teacher, you know, I would get detention because I was the kid that would shoot the spit wads right at the substitute and just, you know, try to hit them in the arm or whatever. So, so you were the, you were one of those sub killers then. I was that guy. I absolutely was. Either I was not, I was uncontrollable. Um, and I didn't do it like volitionally to hurt anybody. And I never did. It was always just acting up. It was always, man, what's up with Chris? Why is he always, my parents were like, why is he always in detention? And he, I was the kid running back and forth down the halls when you were supposed to be walking. I was the kid on field trips that would venture off to really create something. And so that was my childhood. The funny thing about it is that uh, both my parents um, were in education. My dad taught PE for, gosh, he started off at teaching driver's ed when that was a thing. They no longer have that here in California, but right, um, right. over into being a PE teacher, working with um, some adapted PE um, students. So he had many students on IEPs in his class. And then my mom worked more on the administration side. So, you know, you've got, I've got two parents who are like, what's going on with our child? I thought we had a handle on this kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just funny because that really paved the road as I got older, middle school, um, we would, we took a trip out to Hawaii and I remember, uh, we, you know, I was, I, I was, we were able to bring a, a, one of our friends. And so we did a family trip every year and we were on Waikiki beach. I'm like, okay, my parents aren't around, but this is going to be hilarious. I'm just going to run right across this beach naked and no. just, uh, yeah, man. Cause that's part of my brain. Impulse How old are you? 
<laughs> I was in eighth grade. I was like, okay. okay. And then are you, and then do you have any sibling? I have a younger brother. He's, he's two years younger than I am. <laughs> how, how far into the sand was his head buried when you did that? Oh man, he was so embarrassed. My buddy oh my was God. like, Chris, you are crazy. But you know, if you ever watch like these TV shows with like people that jump over the fence and go just run across the field, you're like, oh my, I can't believe who does that. Me. You. <laughs> that guy. There's no, yeah, there's no controlling what I do. It's like come up with a thought and then you just do it. It's impulsive. It's like, man, I'm going to do it. So with that how far being, did you get down the beach, Chris? Seriously, like how far did you actually get down the beach? I went down and went around in a circle. I would say I did it for about, you know, maybe a good minute or two. Enough to where people are like, what is going on, man? This kid's crazy. Um, yeah, so funny. Stuff, but um, yeah, I was that guy. I was just really, uh, you know, off the cuff, just, you know, kind of spur of the moment. Grades were always right around B's and C's. In knowing that, that kind of paved the way for the future because um, post high school, um, I pursued my teaching credential in special education. My, my father always said, hey, Chris, you know what? You would love this, this um, career for many reasons. But in high school, I was the assistant baseball coach with him. He, he taught and he was the varsity coach, so I was his assistant. I love playing sports. I love playing music. And so, yeah, that's what I did when I was in college. But I really struggled. I struggled to, to get things turned in on time. I needed extra time. I, uh, I'm not kidding about this. And up until recently, finding strategies. Back in the day, I would read a book. And then I would finish the chapter or the book and go, man, I don't even know what I just read. I would like literally mm. read the book and not you know, really be able to tell you what went Retention, on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was reading and I was thinking about playing my guitar. <laughs> so that was just, uh, that was just me. So I got a diagnosis of ADHD because that ADD became ADHD uh, many years ago. And so I got that diagnosis and, uh, you know, when you get that diagnosis, I'm just going to speak on, on my personal experience, but then it became a yeah. thing. Hey, you got ADHD. We're going to give you some Adderall. We're going to give you some Lexapro. And then, uh, and then the weekends were college years followed by some Xanax. And it was just like, I spent some years doing that. And, um, and then it came to me as I learned more. And as I, as I started waking up earlier and I started doing cold plunges and jumping into the ocean every morning and swimming, I found that my body's natural system worked best without medication, but to do things that made me focus and the things that really helped my life out were waking up at 5 a.m. every day. So I've been doing that the past five years. I live down uh, in West Los Angeles. So I wake up every day. I jump in the ocean. I swim. Mm -hmm. But it really gets me focused and it gets the day set up. I share that with you because that's kind of been, been my journey. And also being able to find ways in the environment to accommodate myself. So that way I can meet my disability where it needs to be met without having to find an external source to keep me calm. So I yeah. channel all of that, all of that energy, all of this stuff into work. So when I, when I pursued, I have a master's degree in special education with emphasis in mild, moderate disabilities. I taught two years. What my experience taught me was that what I needed as accommodations as, as a younger 
uh, as a child, as a college student, was exactly what my students needed. So I, I already knew as a teacher, hey, you know what? If I can make a universal design for learning in this class, if I can differentiate instruction for everybody, every student wins. If I can provide accommodations for all of my students, then I'm going to be mm -hmm. able to pull out who these kids truly are. I'm going to be able to say, hey, you know what? By me accommodating and removing barriers in the class, I have now been able to reach their strengths. I am able mm -hmm. to reach their full potential. But yeah, that all came because of my past on me being that wild child and me understanding I was just going to say, first of all, I, I want to give just major, major props to first at two places, first and foremost to your parents, because you're so casual about your conversation and your energy and everything about you is just like, just like matter of fact, right? So it's easy to just be like, well, why wouldn't he go to school and why wouldn't he get a master's and everything? And, and I get the sense that you didn't do that in spite of your parents' support. But just as you told us, because of that, that is so important. That's number one. Number two, we're very big on shining a light on any and everything and anyone that we can here. We mentioned that we have Ed Milet in common. He made, I can't remember who exactly who it was that was on his, uh, his show. And it's a result of it's been shared in a lot of the talk that he's given, which is that it might surprise us to know that we are most equipped to serve the people that we once were. That's why it's so important for us to personally grow and develop. And we've had conversations about the, you know, children being neglected by not seeing parents pursue a goal or a dream. But one of the beauty, beautiful things about becoming who you were meant to be or just improving, period, is that the person that you leave behind, anybody else that's in those situations, you're not in a better position to help those people. You can better help those kids than anyone who has never yeah. been in the same situation as them. That is fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah he had a guest on Robin Sharma back about in, back in June. Um, I remember that. He on that. Uh, and his whole concept uh, part of that podcast was that what you give out most is what you'll get back in return most. Yes. Oh, it's yes. like serve the community, serve the population. And it will come naturally back to you for meaning and purpose and a happy life. And so, and, 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 and all of that, it's kind of comes full circle, you know? Yep. Definitely. The thing that we think disqualifies us to help others is exactly the thing that qualifies us to help those that have the same need, right? That's exactly the, the point. We're huge. Obviously we're, we're huge fans. We're, we, we're in his organization. We have his books. We watch his podcast. We're, you know, we're, we're constantly motivated by that, by, by that work and, and, and by him and, Love the fact that you let you. By the way, we're also in Los in the Los Angeles area, so we're all local here to one another. So that's probably we're going to have to meet up for lunch, and we're going to have yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. We will. We will. Because we won't have enough time today. I was going to say the three, the three of us. I don't think we're going to get through this hour actually, and have completed a, sent, a single sentence uh, clearly. But uh, this is all, hey, I was going to say. So Keep I'm going. from. I work in Rancho Cucamonga High School, so I still work inland in the Inland Empire. Um, I was part of our state board for speech pathology. I was a director for San Bernardino County and my current, my fiance, um, was the director for Los Angeles and we just connected. She owns a private practice for speech therapy and sensory needs, occupational therapy, and we just hit it off. And so the reason why I have relocated to Los Angeles 
is because that's where my wife's business is at. And that's where my stepsons, my future stepsons are at. And so um, that in itself is great too, because the conversations that we have at dinner and our whole life is revolved around how do we best support um, kids with disabilities? How can we really make an impact to um, help the world? And so that's kind of where our journey's at. So, um, so if you want to know my minute by minute, day-to-day basis stuff, it's conversations about this. <laughs> and, and, and so, and you teach. And so you, do you do private, are you also doing private practice in speech therapy? Separate okay, yeah, so the I speech over that part. So I taught for two years. That was from 2001 to 2003. And the therapist um, at the time, the speech therapist, um, this guy, Steve Felberg would call my, my classroom. I was in the classroom and he would say, Hey, uh, Mr. Winger, can I get uh, two students for speech time? And I'm like, as time went on, I'm like, wait a minute. You only want two students? Why don't you just take them all, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kids out. And I'm like, this guy would go to IEP meetings, and the parents were like, man, they would turn right to the speech therapist. Everything you do is, like, awesome, and you're supporting my child and this and that. And then I saw the students um, with, like, a really solid rapport with him, and I was like, you know what? That might be my calling in life. I've got energy. I like to socialize, but I really like to work in smaller groups where I feel like I can really make a huge impact. And, you know, back 20 years ago, autism was, uh, was viewed out a little bit different. Um, a lot. <laughs> a lot different. Man, I'm telling you. Yeah, we'll talk about that we know. later. But we know. Um, um, from there, I journeyed out. I went back and got a, a second master's in communicative disorders and became a speech pathologist. And now I've uh, now I'm coming up on year 20. So I'm on my 20th year this year. So, yeah, the past two decades, that's what I've been doing is um, working with we're um, working in that context. So, um, yeah, so I'm in the I'm in the school setting, very familiar with IEPs and how to work with kids to um, support their academic needs. And then my uh, my fiance, Jesse Ginsburg, she works in private practice with pediatrics. And so. Yeah, so we cover two separate worlds. Hers are pediatrics, private practice. I'm adolescence, high school. And it's just a really great thing because we can really work um, with each other on what best serves the community or best serves the population. Can you just tell me how to get a 15-year-old to stop just grunting every answer? Because that would be a cool thing to to have. By the way, he's he's neuro... (laughs) He's neuro. Yeah, he's uh, you just put him in the bedroom, close the door, and give him Minecraft. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, that's a little bit. What's uh, yeah? It's uh, we've we've advanced beyond Minecraft, but not much further than that. It's always just grunts and groans and eye rolls. <laughs> Fifteen years old. Oh, that's um, this is a, this 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 is amazing, amazing. Um, uh, I'm loving this this conversation. What are um, if you would say like, is there a is there a common like? What are some of like the the key points that you find after doing this for 20 years are there certain things that people who are listening maybe if they've got a child you know uh, on, on the autism spectrum or actually just anybody who's somebody neuro- neurodiverse are there certain things that t- to look for and certain things that they can do at home to kind of help facilitate speech and and you know again enhance some of the stuff that that you do privately i mean can i ask you that question is that absolutely you could ask me anything I got you covered. Okay, good. Giving away all your secrets, but 
Yeah, don't uh, don't hesitate to ask whatever whatever uh, questions that come to mind. We, when it comes to, yeah, let's just talk specifically about that. Um, when it comes to um, any kid on the spectrum, um, one of the most important things that I can share, especially when it just comes to like grunting, or maybe we're at a stage where the student or child is non-speaking, um, always to allow total communication. And what that means is access to any type of way to communicate. We don't want to, to limit somebody um, just on thinking that communication has to be verbalized with our voice. Um, right. And I think that's um, something historically that has been a thing in schools, which was, hey, you know what? Um, this student is, because it's no longer referred to as nonverbal, it's non-speaking for our, for our students because they can mm. speak in other ways. They don't have to. And, we for, and they forget that behavior is actually language. Right, right. Yeah, most of the time it is. And so when and that's that's like even the even more important thing to understand is if we are seeing behaviors arise, then we have to find the why. And so right now, the tr the challenging part is that in schools and the mindset is there's a behavior. So let's create a plan to extinguish the behavior or let's create a behavior plan in the schools to find replacement behaviors. And it usually comes with those types of things and ABA coming and being involved. The problem with all of that is those are the, that's all of the what and the how, but mm -hmm. nobody's talking about the why. Why? Why yeah. is what's creating this? And so I'm really, that's really my passion is to share and try to get information out there of why is this student injuring themselves or why is this student running out of the class or why is this student you know, exhibiting these certain things. And so we explore things like interoception, which is the brain's ability to send signals to the body's internal organs. And a lot of our kids on the spectrum have difficulties with interoception. It's one of the mm -hmm. eight senses. Like we know about sight, smell, sound, taste, tactile, vestibular proprioception, but many people don't talk about interoception. Now, if the schools knew this, then they would be looking at it different by going, you know what? Is this non-speaking child having pain from their tooth or stomach pain? Are they not able to regulate their temperature? And that's why they're wearing a hoodie every single day. Are mm -hmm. they not being able to communicate to you that they have to go to the bathroom, which comes in with why we see many of our students having toilet toilet issues. Right, because right. The brain's not sending signals to the body's internal organs. So what we end up seeing in schools is, hey, let's create a behavior plan. And let's find a replacement behavior and let's, and, and none of that is helping anybody because all it's doing is finding a replacement behavior. And then we see the same behavior plan going on for years and the parents are going, Oh man, I'm so stressed out. I'm seeing the same goals and the same behaviors. So it's like, people forget that. Yeah. yeah. We, we forget. And for those that are, you know, we have those that are, that, that will be listening or watching after the fact, those that are joining us live now that are, predominantly more than likely related to the special needs community in some way, shape, or form. But for those that are allowing themselves to be enlightened that may not be part of our community, there's something to consider. Most human beings that are neurotypical feel one thing and communicate something else outside of the very common, hey, I'm hungry, I don't feel well, I love you, I'm angry with you. When we get into feelings and things like that, you know, as human beings, we're not always the best at 
communicating. Um, you know, we had a conversation with a guest of ours, uh, you know, last week, one of the best examples, you know, um, husband comes home and is upset that the dishes aren't done. And there's not like a 50 foot pile of dishes, maybe two or three of them. It's probably obvious that the dishes are, you know, the trailer or the preview when the real problem is the feature film that he or she might, you know, he might not even be able to communicate. So if you take that with a neurotypical situation and then add a special needs component, like in the case of our, you know, my, my son, he's 16, he's not nonverbal, but depending on what his needs are, there's certain things he's going to be very verbal and tell you. There's other things he's going to struggle expressing. And so each situation is different. So that's just another key for us to be able to step into the shoes of other people, because, you know, if, if it's, if it's, if there's a challenge communicating clearly in a neurotypical world, you know, it, it only applies even more so with a diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, historically, back in 1952, the, the DSM was created and it was basically based on assumptions of, of autism. So it was neurotypical people standing back and going, okay, there's somebody hand flapping or moving their hands. That's different than social norms. So we're going to call that stimming and we're going to call that a deficit. Now we know that self-stimulatory behavior is meant to regulate the body system. And so it's really important to share these types of things and say, hey, stimming, whether it's hand flapping or back and forth chair rocking is helping the kid regulate. And if you try to suppress that by creating an IEP goal, quiet hands, hands in pocket or whatever it is, all that's going to do is exacerbate more behaviors. Right, and it's like, right. So, it's the book that was created from 70 years ago that has really made it hard for us to see where the autistic community is coming from. When you mention yeah. uh, emotions, I can't tell you how many IEPs I go into where I inherit a goal that says, we're going to work on this kid learning about different zones to go into for their emotions or, hey, you know what? I want you to describe when you're feeling agitated or depressed. Many of our kids that are on the spectrum have alexithymia which is the lack of ability to identify our emotions and to describe our emotions. So we're never going to meet these goals if they have alexithymia, which most of our autistic students do. And so mm -hmm. what we want to do is create a way to have them identify their energy levels. Like, hey, are you starting to feel hot? Is your body starting to feel like, a, like it's getting to a stress point? Like they feel it internally. And if you do start to feel that, then why don't we seek out and self-advocate some of the accommodations we have in the IEP? This is creating tools for their life, but it takes the neurotypical to see it from the autistic viewpoint, because I'm telling you right now, the DSM-5, if you were to look at every single thing that it describes, whatever disability it is, um, I'll use autism as an example, it'll say uh, social deficits in reciprocal communication, social deficits in relationships and friendships. Right. What is the DSM? Correct. Uh, Chris, what is the DSM? So um, the DSM is the diagnostic um, manual for disorders. So when we diagnose somebody with schizophrenia, ADHD, so most of the kids on IEPs, um, what will end up happening is when the parent um, has some concerns at the really young stages, They'll go to the pediatrician or the a doctor and the doc, that's what the doctor uses to determine what the diagnosis is going to be. Gotcha. Gotcha. The diagnosis isn't a bad thing. The diagnosis is a good thing because then it lets you know, Hey, I've got a diagnosis. Now I just need to seek out the supports and therapy to help this person. The, the, mm. the problem though 
is um, some of the language, if we view it as deficits, then we're going to treat it as deficits. So, right. And that's, that's the challenging thing. So we're not working right. with the student and where they're coming from. What we're trying to do is say, Hey, what you're doing is not part of the social norm. And so I need to turn you into somebody different. I am, I need you to become neurotypical. I need you to become less autistic. And when that happens, when therapy and interventions go that way, it creates more stress, anxiety, depression, and it makes this, the child lose who they are, their identity. Mm -hmm. and so, so the goal or the outcome is to really understand autistic characteristics and how can we best create an environment where we're removing barriers, where we're providing accommodations, where we're making an inclusive environment, an inclusive school, an inclusive work setting. So we all come together. That's the ultimate goal. That's my goal in life. So I've got, I love I'm that. on that journey, man. I'm on that, that yeah. train of change. You know what's so interesting? I remember as a, so I I would I did not have any diagnosis. I was what you would consider neurotypical, right? Neurotypical. Um, for me, self regulation was always chewing on my pencil. Uh, I had I had pencil marks on every single pencil that I had. Um, actually, this is the first big pen I think that actually the cap is intact. I've never had a big pen with a cap intact. I was always chewing on the end, and for me that was. That was self-regulatory behavior, you know, because it just made me feel calm and focused. And which we all need. Everybody has some kind of behavior. That, that's, yeah. that's kind of the point. Yeah, that's what I was gonna yeah. say. I think we all do that at some degree. Some some people sit there with you know with their legs moving. Some people sit there have to rock. I cannot sit, I cannot sit still. I have you probably see me on, on camera. Like I'm constantly, I'm constantly moving, I'm constantly feeling my body. So um, and that's and that's again, I, I would I would I, I, the book that was written 70 years ago is probably so limited to really all the available, you know, uh, options out there is how, how people, you know, t talk about the things that they need to have some control. Sean and I say this all the time. Everybody has the same needs. There's some people need it a little bit different or a little bit more or just, you know, slightly different per perception of it. But I, I, I love this conversation because I, I think what happens a lot in our society is you, you said it as social norms, but really we don't want to have our our day interrupted or, or, you know, impacted by somebody else's activity. So if it's something that they're doing to regulate them, but it conflicts with my ability to focus, right. We, we want to fix them as opposed to understanding what the, you know, what the stimulation is all about and what it's for, to your point, the why, I don't think we've had a conversation about why is that, why is that happening more? You know, it's more like, how do you stop it? Right. That's what I think most people do. Right. But child has a, has a meltdown. I'm just, I'll just finish this point. Even a neurotypical yeah. child who's having a meltdown in, in a public place, you know, people are like, Oh, I can't take your child outside. I can't like, like you have no idea what's going on with that child. There's such a lack of empathy these right. days. We want to try to change that, that, you know, you never know what's, what's that, what is actually happening in that, in that space. So I, I, I love this conversation because it's eye opening for me. Well, and, I, and I think it's, it goes back to what Chris was saying, which is, you know, when he says, you know, talking about the why it's like, we always say, you know, questions are far more powerful than statements and questions usually come, especially if they're asked from this, from the standpoint of empathy and curiosity. That's why, you know, as a child, you put a bunch of kids on a playground, they're going to play together and they have questions about each other. They're going to ask the question. And, you know, when we're kids, we start out as close to perfect as we're ever going to get. As we get a little older, the challenge, the world messes us up and we get a little further away from that perfection because, the, the innocence has a genuine curiosity about somebody else. Hey, what? Like, for instance, 
I'm a black man, an African-American. If I'm a kid and I'm playing with fair skinned or, or, or white or light kids and somebody actually wants to know, hey, can, can you get sunburned? You know, they're going to ask that because like they want to know. Why does your hair feel different? You know, that's that's an honest question. That's curiosity about getting in somebody else's shoes. As you get a little older, you don't ask the question because maybe you don't want to offend. But when you when you when you're curious about somebody else, it's easier to understand them and to try. And again, we always talk about being more childlike as opposed to childish. And the questions questions are far more more powerful um, than statements. And I've heard somebody say, you know, we we spend so much time trying to make sure that we get the world, uh, get our children to adapt to the world. And that's what therapy is for. And that's what all this stuff is for. And I've had a little bit of a thought here. I've heard it said the other way around, which is that we should get the world to be more like our children. The truth of the matter is you should probably be able to meet in the middle because everything that serves this special needs community has a benefit to the rest of the world. Always. Absolutely. You know, you, you, you nailed it right there too. Life is a series of questions and answers because the questions that we come up with, our thoughts, our thoughts become our words, our words become our actions. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, the quality of your question is going to determine the quality of the, the quality of your life and your life. And so if I yeah. have a student that gets sent to me because they're dysregulated in class and my question is, why does a student always have to act like this, man? Why do they always have to come in upset? But then my answer is going to not be I'm not going to guide myself to help the student. All I'm going to do is try to place them over wherever Judgment. I'm not approaching the situation right. In an IEP meeting, I can ask my, myself, you know, where we can ask ourselves, why does this parent have to bring an advocate? Because that's going to set us up for negative feelings in a situation rather than saying, um, what can I gain or benefit from the parent's perspective? And what types of things can I learn from the advocate? Because the advocate's coming in with a lot of knowledge. When you frame it that way, IEPs are a lot better and they're more beneficial for everybody because it's a collaborative model and that's the way it should be. So yeah, the the questions we ask ourselves day to day in every single situation will determine the life and the way we guide the students that we work with. And that's, and that's really important. It's one of the, mm-hmm. one of the greatest scenes from, from Ted Lasso, I'm going to quote a series of television series now was when he quotes Walt Whitman, be curious, not judgmental. And, and the impact that has right more curiosity, less judgment. That's something Sorry, we should Johnny, never, ever, we should just never, ever lose it. And there isn't a problem, you know, with the question, right? It's about how it's asked because I could be like, because I'd like to tell you that I'm so evolved to a place that I judge. Yeah, them. you're not really. No, no. What I do is I catch myself when the question is asked and I tend to ask the same question again, but with different meaning. For instance, if somebody walks in and they're like pulling their hair or twitching or whatever, have you, just something that I don't ordinarily do, I can go, man, I wonder what his problem is. I wonder why he's doing that. <laughs> Or I can all I can also go, and this is what usually happens with me if I ask the question. I'll catch myself and I go, "Well, I wonder why he is doing that. I wonder what's going on." I, I, I'm asking the same question, but I want to know why, as opposed to the first one isn't. You don't really want to know why. You want to know why they won't just stop, so you can have your space and do what you do as though the earth belongs to you and you alone. Which is, you know, sometimes 
it amazes me as human beings how most of us aren't walking around with headaches because our mind is just so freaking narrow. <laughs> right, right. You know, by the way, Chris, I'll just say this, just so you know. And for, for anybody who doesn't know, the first time I met Sean Francis, by the way, I was that frazzled guy. I was coming into an office setting and, and, and I wasn't like, you know, it was, it was, I was, I was, the guy I was supposed to meet wasn't there. I was on a phone. I was not happy to be there. It's Los Angeles. I'm sat in traffic for over an hour to get to some place that should have taken me 15 minutes to get there. I was that frazzled guy. And as much as he says that, uh, the thing that I love about Sean Francis and have since that first day is that when I walked in the room at the first face I saw, and he had this look in his face like, how you doing? Are you okay? <laughs> you, you all right? How's it going? What's happening? What's happening over you there? Like, how's it going? And that is, that is, that imprinted on me. And that was how that experience is. So I know he says it and I give him a hard time sometimes too, because he's like, you know what? Well, I'm not even very evolved. He's an incredibly evolved human being and there's a lot of love in there. And I think that that's the difference, right? If you're, if you're, if you're having an upset and somebody says to you, what are you doing? Or what's wrong with you? Or above, as opposed to what Sean did, which is like, I'm kind of like, I'm here for you. Like, how can I help you? Or, you know, do you need anything or what's going on? Just something friendly and, and loving that makes all the difference in the world, by the way, completely melted, completely melted me. And I realized how really ridiculous. I was probably looked at everybody walking in like, you know, you know, it's just a matter of raising our consciousness and, you know, doing some critical thinking, thinking about what we think about, you know, I'll let you continue, Chris. I just want to give one example. I think I know people will get something out of this, you know, my son still has routines that he likes to do. And pre-COVID, there were a lot more of them. And one of them involves like going to the grocery store. He'll come up with stores and addresses. And my wife and I, we would, you know, go to stores that are like maybe 45 minutes, an hour away, just because he wants to go. We're like, okay, we'll find a reason to get some stuff there. One day we happen to be at a local grocery store and he has to, when we get in the car, he has to push the button to start the car. He has to turn it off. He has to turn everything on and off as we go. And as we pull up to this parking lot, he's getting in front of me to, uh, leaning over from the back seat to push the button. And I'm like, not even necessarily parked yet. And I'm like, no, just wait. And he's like fighting me to do it. And I'm not my best self. I get impatient. So I tell like, no, get back. So I push him back to the back seat and he's trying to wrestle with me to get to the front seat. And all of a sudden I just hear bah, this loud horn. And as I turn, as I finally got the car parked, there's a car, sitting sideways, like diagonally at my door, almost like a police scene, like a cop car pulls up and so you can't open your door. I can barely open the door. I roll down the window and I'm like, excuse me? And the lady goes, you're hurting that kid. I saw you push that kid and, and, and you know, or, or pulled him towards the front seat. Um, and I sat there and what came over me, and this is where my son gets credit because Prior to him, I would just be like, you did what? And I would just like flex up. But what I said was calmly, I said, that kid is my son. I didn't pull him towards the front seat. I physically pushed him towards the back seat because he's on the autism spectrum. He's in the middle of a meltdown and he's trying to turn the car off as I parked the car. And the look on her face, again, you know, behavior being language she completely got me and understood at that point. Uh, and it just so happened that she worked with kids on the spectrum. So she understood that. And then I told her, I said, the next time you see something like that take place, go ahead and do just that. Because there may be a situation where somebody really is in fact being harmed. And 
we had the greatest exchange at that point. And I went into the store with him having an experience that was a lot better than I would have had otherwise. And now that I really think about it, you know, it could be the universe or whatever God lining things up because he was upset on the way to the store. And when that was happening, you know, I'm like, you know, you need to be able to calm down. We're going to sit here for a couple of minutes or we can't go in the store. Had she not done that, the melt, the full on meltdown might have taken place as well, too. So you don't know. You never know. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. That's amazing. And I think that's the key too. yeah, just building a building a society where there's more empathy and understanding. That's key. 100 percent. Yeah. By the way, that's but, but not that we're there yet, but when we end our show, we talk about that's exactly it. Empathy and love is really what it's all about, right? It goes a long it, way. It, it frames a long the way, way to, for our plans and the things that we develop for our kids and really the, uh, the ultimately the outcome for them. Yeah, so I'm, sure. I'm really big, uh, big on that. Yeah, yeah I get it. Me too. Yeah. Hey, you know, uh, you mentioned Ted Lasso. I got to say, that's that I love that show. It was amazing. Me there too. was a uh, there's a part in there that um, one of the soccer players played a huge game. You probably remember that episode. He he ended up um, blowing it for the final and, and scored for the other team and lost the game. And, man, he just could not let that thing down. So Lasso calls him over. He's like, what's going on, man? And this guy was just so down and out. And he said, you know what the smartest uh, animal is in the world? And he said, what? He said, the goldfish. He's all, you know right. why? Because he got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish. Because how often when something uh, in our life happens, we end up not getting over it and then it consumes our whole day and our thoughts and then we can't move on. It's like, man, for sure, be a goldfish. (laughs) I've never seen an episode of the show, but I'm familiar with that because everybody's talked about that. And it's funny. We're referencing so much of Ed here today, but he always talks about, you know, Ed Milet again, about the fact that most of us live our lives based on our experiences. And if you think of just going about your day, that's what you do because we only know what we know, which means that fewer of us live our lives based on our imagination and what could be. So, you know, as a result, we're living on, you know, memory and experience. And usually what we recall is not quite as bad as it, as we, as we think it is. And then as a result, that dictates the story. We tell ourselves a story that is usually you know, not the true story. And that's just living your life to the fullest and making the most out of your life. For those of us that are parents or caregivers to uh, someone with special needs or someone that has a diagnosis of your own, it again is like thrive. What do you, like I'm trying to get through today. But, <laughs> you know, the truth, right. But the truth of the matter is we're here on the planet for, you know, a limited amount of time. Death is imminent, certain and random. So diagnosis or not, and I'm not trying to belittle anybody's situation because each of our situations are different, but we can only control the way that we respond to the cards that are given to us. So it's worthwhile. You know, it it really dawned on me. I've been having this revelation for the past 48 hours. This show, our work in financial services, everything is just based on putting people in a position to live as great and as happy a life as they possibly can. And most people have a gap between the life that they want and the one that they live. And that gap is, is, it has come about over time because of circumstances that are, you know, put in front of them. And the one thing that we're really good at as human, human beings are two things, you know, complication and selling ourselves short and anything that any of us can do to change that is so much, so worthwhile. 
I'll just add. I'll just add one, add one thing. And by the way, Chris, you, you, I can tell that the work that you do is so fantastic because, first of all, I don't think Sean and I have ever talked this much during an episode ever. So, um, no, we're, I don't know what we're. I don't know what's going on. So somehow the speech is it's all, it's all working. But I'm just going to say one thing. I did some. I did some. Some. Some training. Some self development training years and years and years ago. And and we're talking about that exact point that Sean's bringing up. A lot of the times that when we we make decisions about our lives when we're very young. And we carry that story with us, and it sort of defines how we see the world. And one of the great things that one of the exercises that uh, that we did in this course was write our story out, like that story that we held on to. I could have been if only my dad had done, and my mom did, and then when my brother, like all these things that we had, like write it all out, and then read it to somebody in the room. And if you're there as the listener while somebody's reading their story, your job is to just sing old mcdonald had a farm and nothing sounds more ridiculous than reading your story that you have held on to your whole life while somebody is going e-i-e-i-o <laughs> right you realize how that is such a man-made thing and we've made it up and we've allowed it to define everything that we do in our life and how absolutely <laughs> ridiculous it sounds to the backing of Old McDonald had a farm. So, anyways, I just wanted to just comment on that. But I know you were going to say something there to all to all that, Chris. So, so. I was going to be loosely related. I was just going to say too the, the the times that I've learned. This is the thing for myself and my position as a speech pathologist is that I have learned that the thing that has made me grow and the thing that has made me become a better speech therapist are the times that I failed. The times where my IEP goals weren't the best, or maybe I said something that. You know, it could have been said differently in a meeting or I worked with a, a student with an awesome lesson plan and then they came in and then it just fell apart. The times that I have grown and I have learned were because of the failures. And I think that's really important. Um, kind of t talking about the things that have happened in our past. It's like, hey, all of those times where I was in the valleys of the shadows of death were actually meant for my growth so I could reach the top of my Mount Everest, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. They yeah. say uh, when we're in a dark place, we feel like we're being buried. We're actually just being planted, right? Mm -hmm. Planted for growth. Uh, yeah, Chris, would, absolutely. Would you, would you say that what's the ratio like between your private practice and your work in school in terms of like 50 50? You know? Oh, yeah. So I just only work at the schools. Um, Jesse's the one, my fiance, who um, is in the private practice. Oh, and, gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, so really 50 50. 50 50. That's Chris, it. Yeah. Jesse's in private 50 <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah, with working with students, too, it's uh, the, the, the major differences between the two are in the school setting, we're looking at um, academic need, like what is, in, what is adversely impacting the student's educational performance. Whereas in the medical setting and the private practice setting, it's more of a looking at okay, what what are the difficulties here? Let's let's target the medical need or perspective. So oftentimes you'll see the goals will be a little bit different, um, but yeah. So the, the the private practice and the and the and the school setting overlap, but they definitely have their own separate um, approaches. Yeah. Makes so when you when someone comes to you, you know because they're in a school setting and they're not toddlers obviously they've gone through some sort of speech therapy um before just out of curiosity how many 
how many, if any, situations, you know, have you had where you're sort of, you know, because clinicians, doctors, whoever, they're just people. So the service that you get is as only as good as the person that's giving it. Just out of curiosity, how many situations have you had where you see work that you're trying to, for lack of a better term, undo or improve upon based on what someone may have been given? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to throw the, throow the schools under the bus. Um, oh, well, let's start back in, in at the at the beginning stages. Usually, what happens, you know, I'll I'll, I'll go back to the autism arena just because that's a a, a, a topic that um, is easier to for me to talk about and covers like a, a larger um, perspective. But even when it starts from day one, when the family goes in to the doctor, the doctor gives a bunch of um, checklist forms and the forms will say um, rarely, sometimes, always, often. But oh my gosh. Yeah. And there's huge, right? And then it's like yeah. basically all observations, but the way the questions are formed, it says, does your child use humor inappropriately? Do they lack eye contact? Do they... And then it just really paints a picture from there. So it does. Yeah, man. And it's just like the, so you feel trapped when you film those things out too. You're like, how do I answer that? I'm Dan, if I do, Dan, if I don't. I know, I know. And it, and that so that's that's the challenging thing. So then when it gets over to the school, it's a matter of doing exactly what you're talking about, which is unlearning what we've been told in the past. And the way we do that is just through education, and the way we do that is just by I, I, when I see the goals from the past that I inherit that need to be edited or modified, um, that's a good discussion that I have at the table, at the IEP table. So, um, so the parent understands we're no longer looking at trying to fix a child. They're not broken. The, ch the kids aren't broken. What we're trying to do is we're trying to meet the kids where they're at, give them, understand what's where their challenges are and then building uh, an IEP or a document or a therapy approach to best support the student and the learner. And that comes from a, a lot of things. It comes from creating an environment, creating a classroom that is accommodating, creating modifications, creating goals like on my end to self-advocate and to perspective take and to problem solve and to co-regulate. Um, and so yeah, so I mean, I, I see it often, and I never approach the situation in a way that says, hey, um, that's wrong. I just share, like, hey, you know, I've learned that an eye contact goal is actually harmful because it creates a fight or flight response and it actually burns the kid's eyes sometimes. And so it might be more beneficial if we work on. First off, neurotypical no people knowing that, but second off, giving the kid a self-advocacy goal that would say, hey, I'm going to advocate to let somebody know I process information better when I'm not making eye contact. When mm, I'm in yeah. class, yeah, so, that, so the goal would be I'm going to advocate by telling my teacher at the beginning of the year that if I'm in class not making eye contact during a lecture, that means I'm processing it please don't be offended or take it as me being rude. That's just the way that's my characteristic of me. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's really completely. It's it, 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 and again going back to the whole thing about being curious and where we can never be comfortable, we can never stop learning. Because I too look. I said, you know, our son is 16. He was diagnosed at three. I more recently than I care to admit have embraced the idea. Man, a whole lot more recently than I care to admit have embraced the idea that, you know, it's not the worst thing if he doesn't look you directly in the eye because you're like, you know, you make direct eye contact. It's just like, you know, there's a certain relative that comes over, especially if it's your favorite relative, an aunt or somebody, you know, give, give Aunt Becky a hug. Why won't you give Aunt Becky a hug? Well, that you, and you're forcing that, you know, um, just like when the, the meltdown is taking place, a meltdown is not to be confused with a tantrum. You know, and right. so we're constantly learning because those of us, you know, Brian and I are like, I think like a year or less, you know, apart. We're both over 50, you know, so in, in our age group, and I suspect your own as well, you're yeah. like, no, what you do is you look people in the eye and when a relative comes over, you greet them with a hug and a kiss. You don't want somebody to be rude, but again, the question versus the statement, we can never stop learning. Yeah, no, yeah, you're, you're exactly right, right, right. Um, Right on the money there. Yeah. And it's also one of those things too, where, um, yeah, back to that self advocacy piece where we're having the student let other people know about their differences or their characteristics. And that's, that's the key, you know, on the, on the meltdown subject, the thing that's really been uh, a game changer for me is like, I literally shift my way of viewing when a meltdown is happening because it comes from, a day's worth of sensory overload of loud sounds of loud of, of difficulty being in a, um, you know, an environment where there's a lot of other people, whatever mm-hmm. leads up to the meltdown, a meltdown is not a kid trying to tell you or refuse to do something or um, anything like that. And so if I can view it as, Hey, right now, the brain is sending signals to the body that can't be controlled. So uh, right now, literally when I see somebody having a meltdown, I, if I view it as, okay, the brain right now is not being able to control this kid. My job is to try to get the brain back to being regulated. It makes it so much easier for me because then it makes me stay regulated. A lot of times when a meltdown happens or another kid gets, you know, really frustrated with something, our bodies have a tendency to want to join in the chaos. And that's not the job. What we're supposed to do, our job is to share our calm when kids are in chaos. And, and sometimes that might consist of us giving them a hug to make them feel warm or whatever their, um, whatever they, whatever the need is. Yeah. And yeah. Co-regulation. Yeah. If it's them alone time, putting on a weighted blanket and listening to some calming music, whatever it might be. There you go. We, I had a, a real, um, kind of an epiphany this summer that I think is the collective result of just observing and observations that I thought may have even been wasted times around like, man, why is he doing that? I don't know. So this summer, my, you know, my son wanted to go to the movies like a lot. So we went to several movies and he likes to wear a suit. Right. <laughs> and so he looks like he's, you know, employed by the men in black or something like that. Um, yeah. He does. Yeah. He looks sharp as that. And yeah. he would usually pick kids movies. He picked, um, where the crawdads sing, which is, you know, not a, a grown-up movie. I mean, not a kid's movie at all. And we're like, okay, because he's got this fascination with Reese Witherspoon and he knows that she produced it. And so she's doing press for it. So he's like, wants to go see it. We're explaining to him, 
she's not in it and it's not a kid's movie. Are you sure you want to go? He wanted to go. We went, sat through the whole thing and he was engaged. We're like, okay. So then he, he, he picked Top Gun. We went, we went to go see that next. And as we're looking at it, he was just scripting and talking a lot and loud into the, and, and I was just like looking around real uncomfortable. There's a guy sitting next to us. And I just said, Sorry, I apologize. And he just looked straight ahead, didn't say a thing to me. There was a lady, a couple, you know, rows down that just was like, <sighs> she wouldn't say anything. One guy in front who was like, are you guys going to talk throughout the whole movie? And and then we're telling him, like, you need to be the inside voice or we're going to have to leave. And then his response to that is like, no, no, I, I, I do not want to leave. And he's saying it loud. So we're like, and then it dawned on me. I was like, you know what? I think he's hot because the air condition in there wasn't running on a cycle the way it usually does. And it happened to kick on. And as it did, he was kind of regulated and I was kind of not impressed with myself, but trying to figure out like, why did I catch that? And why would I have not before? Because the truth of the matter is as conscious and as awake as you think that I am, I'm like, comatose and catatonic compared to my wife. She's just always like, he needs this. He needs that. He's trying to say this. He's trying to say that we disagree on what he's trying to communicate very, very rarely. And she'll usually catch it first. And it just so happened that I think that that was it. But again, like I said, that's a cumulative result of looking the whole time and even catching times where I think that it's going completely over my head. So it's a long winded way of saying that we can't ever stop trying to learn and be curious as we're at the 57 minute mark. (laughs) Hey, let me, uh, I wanted to share just a couple resources um, on the topics that we've talked about for for your audience and your listeners. We talked about energy levels rather than emotions. And the Mm -hmm. the, one of the um, things that discusses with free resources called autism level up. And if you go to that website, that is the way to really help learn about our um, autistic individuals' emotions and ways we can help with energy um, levels. Um, we talked about interoception, which is the ability for our brains to send signals to our body's internal organs. So the way you're describing in the movie theater, sometimes I'll have students wearing a hoodie out in 100-degree weather, but their body's not sending signals to regulate their temperature, so they don't even know. So um, right. a, a therapist by the name of Kelly Mahler if you, um, M-A-H-L-E-R, and she's the guru for interoception. Lastly, you were talking about scripting movies and stuff. So mm-hmm. it sounds like your son's a, a gestalt language processor. And if you can understand gestalt language versus we're all natural language learners, um, mm-hmm. natural acquisition, um, meaningful speech um, talks about gestalt language processing um, a GLS processor, most 80, I want to say 80 to 90% of autistic students are gestalt language processors. And so if we want to turn scripting into meaningful conversations that um, she's on Instagram and there's a website. Um, so those are three valuable resources that um, everybody can, can check out. That Beautiful. is tremendously valuable because there's a lot of that, that, that takes place. And I said that my wife and I will rarely disagree on things with what he's trying to say. And there's times where there's a song that he's playing and he'll play it over and over and she'll tell me, well, he's, he's trying to listen to learn the lyrics of the song and that'll appear to be correct. But then there's times where it's completely instrumental and he's just like playing it over and over. And I realize that what happens is, you know, we realize that he'll tend to speak that way at t- times and kind of like 
say something, say something, say something. As a result of that, just as much as he's capable of just having a normal, um, you know, sentence. My and gosh, the time. Absolutely, uh, that is absolutely common. On Instagram, follow Boho Speechy. She talks about what you just described with the singing and turning that into scripting, which turns into language and how to do it. So Boho Speechy on Instagram. B-O-H-O-S-P-E-E. Yep, S-P-E-E. Boho Boho Speechy. I think that's what it is. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm okay. Scared. But anyway, yes. Yeah, so those are some those are four uh nuggets of gold right there. Great resources. Wow. Great resources. Somebody would comment, we just got a comment from Cheryl. This is great, great, great resources. Thank you, Cheryl, for, yeah. for doing that. Um, hey, we're uh we're we're kind of at the end of our hour. It uh as and we say this every week, like I we could do this for another hour. I don't know, I don't know if people actually listen for two hours, but um we should consider it at some point we just full of information so chris first of all i just want to thank you for for being a guest uh this week <laughs> the fact that we live in the same area is great because i have a feeling we're gonna have several conversations uh in person uh which is going to be amazing um shall we even get to our question today we're at an well, hour I'm gonna we're say, ordinarily because we're at the hour mark i would you know here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna resist the temptation to not ask it just because i think of chris being chris I is going to be one, one minute or less, 30 seconds. Good, good. I was going to say he'll add more value to it than the average person. So the question that we ask is like, you know, our ability to change the world is tied to our ability to change or improve upon ourselves. So with that said, give us one example of a thought or belief or philosophy that you once really believe strongly, but no longer believe to be true. We once thought the world was flat, but we did that because we made assumptions and then we found out more evidence we once thought that autism was just all about deficits, and now we're learning that it's all about a different way of communicating, perceiving sensory input, and understanding the world. The way to learn more about this is on my website at speechdude.com. I have a neurodiversity affirming IEP course. Um, it's um, I got a section for speech therapists, but this course with anybody who has ever been involved with anybody with autism works in school settings or has a, as a loved one, you will change your entire view of what autism is um, just by this one course. Um, so it's going to be out within the next week. It's on pre-sale. You can find it at speechdude.com. We're here Fantastic. to change the world. There you go. And I, you can find Chris on Instagram at speechdude. That's it. Instagram and TikTok at speechdude. I will be around. Always reach out if you have questions, you guys. Brian, John, I appreciate you having me on the show. It's a true honor. Thank you, thank you. We're going to sign off here in just a second, but Chris, don't, 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 don't leave yet. If backstage, we want to have a yeah. quick, quick, quick wrap up. Um, so I'll just, I'll just end quickly by saying, first of all, Sean Hall in Hawaii, who manages our time, is going kind of crazy. I'd say he's playing in our hair. graphics. I'm not sure he handles much. He has much hair, but Sean does an amazing job at keeping us, um, well, sort of in line. Um, as as much as he can from Hawaii. So thank you, Sean, for doing that. And then thank you everybody for 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 commenting, for contributing to today's show. For if you have any other comments, you know how to reach Chris now at Speech Dude. Um, uh, thank you for uh, everybody who's catching us on on podcasts and on WSTXAM Radio. Uh, we love you. We consider you part of our family, and we hope that we're continuing to add value every week. And again, in our hundred third episode, thank you, Joe, for participating. My daughter Jordan. Um, and as I said, we sort of said this, empathy and love is more important now than ever. Than ever. Be curious, not judgmental. Ask questions. Uh, at, you know, be empathetic. You never know what's happening in somebody else's situation. And if you look at the world through glasses of love, 
the world looks like a different place. So with that, I'm gonna send it to Sean to sit to, to close us out. And again, thank you, Chris. This is fascinating, amazing conversation. Fantastic. As as always, I want to thank the woman in my life without whom I would not be. That is my amazing uh, wife, Laura, my mom, Jan. Um, for everyone that's um again catching us live or after the fact, we thank you. When you go to the YouTube channel, um like, share, subscribe. And um, Brian and I, again, have a commitment to, in the next 12 months, impact the lives of 1,000 special needs families through financial service, education, and opportunity. And wherever you are watching, listening, or seeing this, we love you. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everyone.